Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. kind of a mess this morning here. I'm getting older, I know. Less agile. Certainly that is true. Uh, I'm going to put the ushers forward. They have a card for you. Emily had mentioned that um, it's getting full in here, which is exciting. Reminds me of pre-COVID days around here, which is cool. Before we jump into our fourth part of our series, I did want to share that on March 3rd, because of this wonderful problem that we have, we are going to add an 8.30 service to our Sunday morning. Some of you are like, 8.30? What the? 8.30? Who wants to go to church on eight, at 8.30? Anecdotally, here's what I've heard. Several of you are like, I love 8.30 church because I have kids' activities at 11. I have uh, work at 11, my kids go down for a nap at 11, I mean, all sorts of things happen at 11 o'clock on Sunday, so you love the early service. Anecdotally, some of you are like, no way, 8.30 is horrible. I don't really care what you think, because we're still offering the 10 service, so just come to the 10. Stop compl- no, you can, you can complain about it, but you don't need to show up to the 8.30 service. It's for those people who uh, will really benefit from this, and certainly will evaluate the, the time frames, and come fall, we can readjust, or even the spring, if we really, really find that it's not working for us. So it's not like we're setting these in stone. <clears throat> we will be flexible. But of course, any time that you expand, it does come with other challenges, but the challenges, I believe, do not compare to the benefit, friends. The challenges absolutely do not compare to the benefit. More people coming to Restoration Church on Sunday mornings means that more people hear the gospel, more people grow into Christ-likeness, more people find community and friends, more people live a thriving, abundant life in the name of Jesus. So this is a good thing, but it's our hope that our whole community would rally around this change. You receive this card, um, and it really is your commitment to how you can participate and help make the 830 um, change a success. I would encourage you to pray about these, and when you're ready, let us know how you can help us make it a success. You're also going to get this in a digital form throughout the, the next you know several days, and so there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to fill this out. You do not need to fill it out multiple times. Just fill this card out once. We'll probably talk about this next week as well. Here's what we're asking. We are looking for 40 people to commit to attending the 8.30 service. So if you're one of those people who are up already, your kids get up early, that's great. Commit to attending the 8.30 service. Know, however, that we're not going to be offering RC Kids until Easter starts. And so for the first couple weeks of this, um, you can bring your kids with you to the 8.30 service or... Uh, you could wait until Easter morning to start attending then as well. So we'll have full RC Kids offered. But to that end, we do need more RC Kids volunteers. And so if you do not currently serve in RC Kids, but you just love children, babies through fifth grade, maybe you are a parent, but you're not currently volunteering, really, really consider you, consider volunteering for our kids' ministry. 
you not only are you going to be benefiting the kids there and helping disciple this next generation, but I guarantee you, you are going to grow in that environment. Not only through your service, but through what you learn, you are going to grow in that environment. So I'd really encourage you, if you're not currently serving in RC Kids, consider doing so. Let us know. We do need more uh, hospitality volunteers as well. In addition to that, um, because theoretically we're going to be having more space around here, I would encourage you to invite your friends, as we talk about all the time. Invite, invite, invite. Fill up the seats more so that, you know, this fall we need a third service, which would be... (laughs) 5.30, yes. Yeah, yeah, yep, I know, we talked about that. Of course... Yes, PM, yes, of course. We will be praying, please be praying for all this transition. It's such a great problem to have, friends. This this is exciting times. Um, yeah, more on this in the weeks to come. So here's what you can do with those cards. Fill those out. If you're ready to fill it out now, if you're ready to commit um, in any number of these ways, there, there's a box here, there's a box in the back. Just put in those boxes as you leave. Uh, if you need to hang on to this for another week, you're welcome to do so. Again, we'll talk about this again next week and give you that opportunity to do it. Okay, on to part four of our series Jesus-centered Christianity. Back in 2010, Emily and I were vacationing in Arizona, and uh, we took a walk, uh, we took a hike uh, near our hotel room, and I don't know, how, how many how many of you, when you hike, how many hikers out here, by the way, hikers, anybody hikers? There, I think there are two types of hikers in the world. I think there are the people who, when they hike, they look down at the ground. Anybody, any looking down at the ground hikers? I'm one of those, yeah. And then there are the other people who, like, when you walk, you're looking at the scenery, you're looking around, you're looking at the path ahead of you. I'm so grateful for those kind of people. Guys, I'm, I'm not one of those. I'm a look down at the ground kind of hiker. Emily is the opposite. She's a look ahead kind of hiker. And we're walking, talking, doing whatever we do, and all of a sudden, like a dead halt, she reaches her hand across my chest and says, stop! You're kidding. In life, that is true, yes, but walking, that is not true. There was a rattlesnake on the path about 15 feet ahead of us. It had slithered its way onto the path, and I mean, have you ever seen a rattlesnake in real life? These things are thick. This thing is thick, and it is six feet long, probably, and it just slid in there, chilling on the path, and I probably would have walked right on it if she had not stopped us in our path. I'm so grateful. A, a, few, a few years ago, the exact same thing happened, actually. I was thinking about this in Cuyahoga National Park. I had, I had my daughter Evelyn on my shoulders. We're walking and hiking, and I'm looking down at the ground, and, she, and she's like, she grips my head with her hands because she's sitting up on my shoulders. Daddy, stop! And there's a big old black snake, I don't know what kind of snake it was, sitting on the path right in front of us. I don't know what it is about me and walking on snakes, but I had, yeah, Indiana Jones, I had to, here's, here's what's happened. When, you, when you're hiking and you fix your eyes downward, horrible things can happen. Bad things could possibly happen. And I think Paul, the, the author of Romans, the person writing this, Saying, you know, that's that's a funny analogy and all, but that's exactly how life happens as well. We have this tendency, I think, as humans to keep our eyes cast downward on this earth, on the pain, on the suffering, on what we're experiencing here. And Paul is like, guys, if you want to find healing and redemption, if you want to be free, you need to cast your vision upward. You need to start looking in a different place. Let me recap for you what he has said thus far in Romans chapter 8 before we move on with our section. He says this, those who are in Christ Jesus, we won't be condemned. 
Some of you feel condemned. Some of you carry a lot of guilt around and a lot of shame around. Some of you feel condemned in life. You remember that thing that happened to you or that thing that you did, and you still carry that with you. That thing still haunts you, my friends. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he has done for us, God has done through us, through Jesus, what we could not do for ourselves. He gathered up all of the sin, all of the guilt that we carried, And he carried it to the cross and he condemned it there. And now those who trust in Christ are given the life of Christ, now and in eternity, and his spirit to empower and illuminate our living. And so it's not just that we have the power of Christ to help us live well and rightly in love, primarily for God and for others, but he also illuminates our minds and our livings as to when they're not going well. We have this burdened conscience when we start to stray, when we start to drift. And now the journey with Christ is a constant analysis of our hearts and it's overcrowding and a constant surrender and putting to death those things that are cluttering up the arena where Jesus alone should occupy. That's essentially the first 16 verses of Romans and what he's trying to convey. It's what we've talked about over the last three weeks. And at this point, I imagine that Paul pauses. You know, he's writing on that papyri we talked about the last week. He's got a quill in hand and I think he pauses at this point. You know, he's probably sitting in a coffee shop. He's, you know, looking over the Mediterranean Sea in the city of Corinth, sipping his coffee, and he pauses. And he's looking around at all the people who are, who are in this city, and he's looking around at all the people who are occupying this space. And all these people have cluttered, crowded hearts, and they're living for the flesh, and they're living selfishly, and it's hurting not only themselves, but it's hurting others, and they're causing a lot of chaos in their relationships and in the world, and they're doing things that are hurting others, and they're doing things that are hurting themselves. They're living in opposition to God, and he says, whenever you live in opposition to God, you're always going to invite death into that scenario, into that situation. He talked about that last week for a while. Whenever you live in opposition to God's ways, you're always going to invite death into that situation. So there are these people who are hurting and drowning in pain and guilt and shame and are suffering under the tyranny and the rule of sin and I think he's looking at all these people and he's looking at how chaotic the world is and how broken the world is and he's sipping his coffee and he's got a newspaper there and maybe he just opens up the newspaper, you know, and he reads about how a young man in his community killed his father and then decapitated his father before publicly offering a politically charged rant against the government. And he stops to think, how could someone get to that point in life? How could something like this ever happen? How could someone get to that point in life? What demons did he invite into his life? What mental health struggle went undiagnosed? What drugs was he on when he did this? What trauma did he endure as a child that caused him to to do this kind of horrific thing? And then Paul, you know, he's reading the newspaper and he flips the page and he turns and he, he reads all the various accounts of child predators and sexual abuse of minors in his community. And his heart just begins to break and weep over what he's le- learning and reading. And then he, he, he goes down, there's a related article in, in the newspaper below, and he reads how at the Coliseum in Rome, actually that same evening, they're hosting the championship game between the two rival teams. And how sex trafficking, specifically of minors, is spiked that weekend. Like no other weekend throughout the entire year in that city. 
And his heart is breaking because he's thinking about how some people, you know, his own co-workers, people he may have considered friends, could take the purity of little ones and abuse it for their own disgusting, selfish gain, and his heart is just breaking. He flips the page again to learn of several wars throughout the Mediterranean world and how government-backed militias are targeting trade routes and others are holding hostages. He flips the page and reads of Chilean wildfires and Japanese earthquakes and U.S. tornadoes and mudslides and how the world, it feels like the world is just crying how the world is just yelling, how the world is roaring like a wild animal longing to be released from its cage. And then he turns to the sports section to discover the two teams playing in the championship game are the two teams that played in the same championship game just a few years ago. And how the same two political candidates are probably vying for the same office that they were just a few years ago. And how that world was horrible, because we lived in a world of a pandemic in that year, and how it seems like that same year is on repetition. Nobody wants that, of course. And Paul's hope is beginning to leak. You guys ever feel that way before? You look at the world that you're living in, and your hope just kind of drains a little bit. You feel like, what the heck is going on? What is going on with the world in which we live? And your hope, it just kind of bleeds out. And I think he puts the newspaper down at this point. And then he's, you know, hearing the couple next to him, and they're just squabbling. They're just fighting and threatening divorce and talking about how children aren't happy and kids are failing school and how it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. It's your fault. Never been blame shifting and nobody's taking ownership for their own participation in the problems and we think how could there be a good god amidst all this how could there possibly be a good god amidst the way that the world is going with how much pain there is in the world if god really loved us of course he would have done something about this if god really cared for us of course he would have done if god was capable this never would have happened this would be different And I think Paul, you know, his heart is just breaking as he's reading about what's happening in his world and what's happening in our world. And he puts his coffee down and he, and he picks up the quill and he's like, I just, I have to remember those who live in opposition to God invite death. I mean, why is the world the way it is? I mean, come on. We're living in opposition to God. God is nowhere, even on the map. We're not considering God's ways when we live. And whenever you live in opposition to God, you will invite death. And so Paul is paused and he's looking around on this broken world and he's overwhelmed with compassion. His heart is breaking. And I think at this moment in his letter, he sinks down. He sinks down into the blood-soaked ground beneath the cross of Christ. And he says, my friends, this is it. This is it. If only, if only, if only the world would turn to Jesus. If only they let this suffering that they are experiencing lead them to Jesus, if only they would open their eyes to their pain and see that the solution has been offered in Jesus. All of the world's questionings, all the world's doubts, the pain, the suffering, the evil, the torment, all of the grief, but also all of the hope and all of the peace and all of the love converge at the cross of Christ. The suffering of Jesus on the cross, he would say, is the intersection of all of the world's pain and the world's redemption. And so Paul, he's thinking about this, and he takes us where nobody wants to go. Nobody wants to go here. You know what we want? We want a solution to the problem that is like happy and free and wonderful and just like unicorns and rainbows all the time. God, just take it away, but don't 
he doesn't he, he takes us exactly where nobody wants to go and this is maybe why so many people are hesitant to go where he tells us we need to go the only way forward and this is for all of us the only way forward he would say is through the cross the only pathway forward is through the cross. The only path to redemption, to healing, the peace, the hope, is through the suffering of the cross. Not just Christ's cross, but also ours. He would say, we share in Christ's suffering. You want to get to the healing part? You want to get to the redemption part? You want to get to the part where it's all wonderful and unicorns and rainbows? And you want to get to that heaven part where it's glorious? It's through the cross. It's through suffering. And not just Christ's suffering, but also ours. Paul's like, friends, come on, why Why we suffer is not some philosophical conundrum. It's not a mystery. It's not rock and science. It's actually rather easy. The world is suffering. Here's why the world is suffering. The world is suffering because sin is still its master. But Jesus, he took sin and death to the grave. It doesn't have to master you any longer. You do not have to be in, you don't have to be enslaved to your guilt, right? The lender doesn't have any power over anyone. You don't owe the world anything you don't owe the flesh anything the sin does not have to master you any longer jesus did away with all that god has paid your debt you owe it nothing we suffer he would say because we're far from jesus right those who live in opposition to god they invite death and so you know why there's so much suffering because people are selfish because people don't care about how they hurt you they just want what they want that's why the world is suffering that's why people suffer under the hands of other people. That's why marriages fall apart. It's because I don't really care about what you think. I don't care about what you want. I'm just going to take it for myself. And if that hurts you, I don't care. It's not my prerogative. My ambition in life is to do good for me, not to do good for you. It's to make my life better, not to make your life better. We live selfishly, of course. Those who live in opposition to God are going to hurt. When there's too much us and not enough Jesus, you're going to hurt. Selfishness always hurts. And it always hurts others, and it always leaves a wake of destruction in its path. And so think of the pain, think of the suffering you're experiencing. It can all be traced back to somebody being selfish. When Jesus isn't at the center of our lives and we confess it, here's another way he's going to say, you know why suffering hurts? You know why the cross is the focus of redemption? You know why the, the cross is the focus of your healing? It's because repenting feels like suffering too. Saying no to the world and yes to Jesus, that feels like suffering. Ask anyone who's gone through detox if saying no felt like suffering. Prying the heart that is bent inward and selfishness, prying the heart back outward, breaks us of our sinful nature. And we feel like we're losing a part of ourselves when we do this, friends. Some of you have felt this. We feel like we're losing a part of ourselves. Submitting to Jesus might feel like you're losing a part of yourselves. My friends, what you're really gaining is the whole of yourselves. You might feel like you're giving something up and it's so significant and it's so painful. But my friends, you are gaining the world when you do so. And then Paul would say, well, yeah, and you know what? The life of Christ feels like suffering too because you know what the life of Christ is? It is living in love. And do you know what love fundamentally is? If you can boil down love, love in a nutshell is self-sacrifice. It's not living for me any longer. It's living for you. And so it's, yes, it's going to hurt. It's going to be sacrificial. It's built into the very name of love. And so Paul is looking at why the world suffers, right? Why they're suffering in the world. And he says, you know what? The cross is the head of, the, head of all of it. Like they, they all converge at the cross. They all find their head in the cross. The way of Jesus and therefore life now and eternal is an invitation to journey through the cross, but ultimately into our resurrection. 
If the suffering of the world hurts because we're far from Jesus, we as Christians need to realize that there is suffering that comes with following Jesus as well. Saying no to the ways of the world are going to feel like suffering. Self-sacrificing is going to feel like suffering. And I think at this point, you know, Paul Paul is probably just crying. He's looking at the pain of the world, and that brings him to tears. But he's also looking at the love of God, because God enters down into our mess that he did not create. He enters into our mess, our pain, that was not his, nor was it his doing. But he would be the one to rescue and redeem it to suffer for it. And he says, you know what? I consider that our present sufferings, they're not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul's like, I know it doesn't make sense in the midst of your pain. I know that when you're suffering, it doesn't make sense. But here is what I know. That keeping your eyes down on your pain, on your suffering, keeping your eyes down on your suffering will spiral you into self-pity into anger and into depression. It will inspire revenge, your hatred, and your self-justification. And Paul will say, don't do that. You're made for more than that. I hope for more than that. I want for more than that for you. Fix your eyes elsewhere. Fix your eyes on the cross. Fix your eyes on God's solution, on his love for you, on the future world where there is no more crying or pain, and that he has secured because he has suffered on our behalf, that he took up all of the sin and the evil and the pain and the suffering of the world, and he brought it to the cross with him. And so he would say, whatever you're going through, friends, and he doesn't know the extent of all of it, but he, he would say it doesn't compare with the future glory that is to be revealed in us, that is waiting for us. And so why would we set our heart and our hope and our life on this temporal world that is fading and fleeting when we could set our heart and our attention and our mind on the world that will last forever, that is beautiful why set your heart and your mind on the world that is deflated and beaten up where suffering reigns? Keep your eyes down there. Keep your eyes on the pain and how you've been wronged and how you're suffering and you will seethe with anger. And it will, it will destroy your soul. And you're going to point the finger up at God wondering why he didn't do more or do anything to change your situation. But focus on the cross and you'll begin to realize that all God has done with the world's pain is provide a solution to it. He provides a solution to a problem that he didn't create. And so you can either push the solution away in your anger or you can invite the solution in in your humility. And your response to how you suffer is so important because it's, it's not just us that is effective here. Paul, Paul would say, you know, the whole world is waiting for its redemption. It's waiting for the, the people of God to filter their lives through the cross, to put Jesus firmly at the center of our lives, to filter our thoughts and our actions and our tongue and our words and our identity through Jesus Christ, to put him firmly at the center of our life. Because it's not just us who are affected. It's all of creation that has, that has been broken under the weight of sin. The creation too waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, for the Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. All of creation, he would say. And everything associated with it is broken. So think of creation, all of it, time, weather, animals, humans, 
When God created the world, he said that it was very good. Everything that he created was very good and that it did what it was supposed to do. It was beautiful. It was flourishing. None of this chaos, suffering existed in the beginning. When God created the world, it was very good. Everything was doing as it it was supposed to be doing. And then you know what? Humans came along. Humans came along and we fixed our attention to the lies of a snake and all of creation was thrown into chaos. We're walking along that path and what's in front of the, the path? There's a snake on the road. We begin to listen to the snake. Fix our attention on the snake instead of looking up. The goodness of God and all of life was thrown into chaos. But my friends, it was we who abandoned God's love. It was we who rejected God's ways. It was we who invited chaos and death into God's well-ordered, wonderful, beautiful creation. We spun the world into chaos, and now the world is waiting for us because we were the ones who cursed it. And so part of our problem is that we're so internally, individually focused, self-pitying because of what's happening to me when our struggles are under the umbrella of a really universal corruption, something much bigger than ourselves. And God did not once say or even imply that the problem with the world was ever too big for him. God stepped into our mess and with the fullness of love and he suffered on our behalf. And if you keep your attention down on your own personal suffering, you'll never see how God is at work to fix the universal problem. If your attention is always down on your own problems, you will never see how God is at work to fix the universal problem. Keep your eyes down on your suffering and you'll miss the redemption and healing going on all around you. I'm going to the band forward. We're going to sing a few songs, actually, just to allow us the time to reflect on who God is and what God has done on our behalf. And so, friends, I don't know what pain you're experiencing right now. I don't know what suffering you're experiencing right now. But if you are ever wondering, if you are ever wondering when healing is coming, If you're ever wondering when healing will take place, if you're ever wondering when healing will be discovered, or if you're ever wondering what redemption looks like in the midst of what you're going through and and enduring, if you ever wonder, can this be redeemed? Can this situation be reconciled? Is there any hope for what I'm experiencing? If you ever wonder if God actually loves you, Is God actually capable of doing anything about your pain or your situation? My friends, fix your eyes on the cross. Fix your eyes on the cross because it is here where death has been defeated. Where sin has been condemned. And for a time, yes, it may feel like suffering. But our glory is waiting. Resurrection is coming, friends. We're going to sing just a few songs to kind of reflect on, on this. And I would encourage you, you, you can take whatever you know position you want and posture you want. If you want to stand and rejoice and celebrate what God has accomplished, then you're welcome to do that. If you just want to sit and cry over the state of the world, you're welcome to do that as well. May this you know, next few minutes as we sing a few songs be an opportunity for you to heal. But not only that but to remember 
that God has come into a problem he didn't create to be the solution that we could not be for ourselves. And I pray that you then would be more trusting, that you would give more of your life and surrender, more of your hope and more of your trust into the capable and caring hands of Jesus. He wants to carry you, friends. Do not resist him. While you see with anger as you keep your eyes focused on below, you are just pushing God away when God wants to be invited into your pain so that he might be the one to carry it, to heal it, to introduce you to his resurrection, his redemption, and ultimately his glory. So we're going to sing these songs, and I just encourage you to, again, take whatever posture that you want. Sing with us. Pray with us. Let this be a time between you and God. Heavenly Father, whenever we are up against life's challenges, may we recall what you have accomplished on our behalf. You came into a problem that you did not create, Father. And you redeemed it out of your great love for us. May our attention, may our eyes, may our hearts and our mind be fixed, not on the ways and the challenges of this world, but on your cross, the source of our redemption. And then may we, Father, live more fully into all that cross represents, to say no to the ways of the world that live in opposition to you that always invite death. And may we live more self-sacrificially in love for others, Father, led by your Spirit, so that life is produced in abundance in our hearts, in our families, in our households, in our communities. All until the day we see manifest your glory in our resurrection. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us today, guys. If you wouldn't mind, if you're interested, go buy some food. Support our youth. You can head on down this door downstairs. If you have your cards, if you're ready to uh, commit to anything, please put them in the boxes on your way out. God bless you all. Thanks for joining us.